Good morning, church. Today's reading is going to be Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? What have you guys been up to? Just enjoying life? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. Grab your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 24 through 29. If you're not familiar with your Bible, don't hesitate to take a look at that table of contents to find your way there. We've been working our way through Colossians. The title of this series has been Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And what an amazing series this has been. No Greater Adventure is the title of this weekend's message, No Greater Adventure. I'm going to start off by asking you this question. I want you to discuss it with the folks sitting around you. And here's the question. What is your favorite good against evil movie, book, or story? What is your favorite good against evil movie, book, or story? Real quick, do that. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you. <clears throat> You guys have some good ones there? I've got a whole list. Anybody have a list of them? Like a top five, top ten list? What did you guys come up with? How about over here? You guys come up? Braveheart. Braveheart. Any Braveheart people there? Woo! Braveheart. Star Wars? Yep, yep, yep. Star Wars. Star Wars? Star Wars? Oh, yeah. I see you back there, Bob. Bob, Star Wars. Okay. And then uh, anything else? What about this group right here? Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia. Okay. I like that. I'll go with that. Trying to be all spiritual on us there, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Lord of the Rings. Okay, there you go. There's, how many were thinking Lord of the Rings? Okay, how about here? Terminator. Let's all bow our heads right now. We're going to pray for some of you in the, in the movies you guys watch. Okay, maybe that's a good movie. I don't know that much about that one. But uh, good against evil movies, I've got a number on my list. I've got Braveheart, Gladiator, The Patriot. Uh, it took me a while to get used to Lord of the Rings. I'm not, I'm not into all that, that kind of fiction, that crazy stuff like that. But it, it, there was some good, good against evil. How many are familiar? I was raised on Clint Eastwood. Any old Clint Eastwood movies? Pell Rider. Have you guys ever seen Pell Rider? He pretends to be a preacher. He comes back in town and cleans house, baby. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's something about those movies. It's just like we get into them. I mean, they stir us up. Why are we so fascinated by these kinds of stories? And what's interesting is that the dark, confusing, ambiguous, postmodern movies, books, and stories aren't, are not most, the most popular. 
Uh, it's interesting because nobody said Batman or Superman or anything like that, which would fit into that category, but there's a new Batman movie just now coming out. Did you guys know that? How many are familiar with that? And so I did a Google search on that to find out how many Batman movies there have been. There's been about 25. Why? Why? I'm trying to figure that out, but it's because those are popular. Those are extremely popular. And so take a look at your sermon notes here. Our world is filled with stories of good against evil, some king, ruler, hero coming back to slay the dragon and, and save the world. I mean, even in, in modern-day stories, we have modern-day stories of firefighters, police officers, and soldiers risking their lives to save people from harm. They fascinate us. You know, what do we do? We have parades for them. We pin medals on them. We celebrate what they've done in performing their redemptive acts, so to speak. Now, why is that? Why are these so stirring for us? Because Jesus Christ is the underlying reality under which all these other stories point. Think about that. He is the beautiful prince, ruler, king, and hero our hearts long for when we watch those movies, read those books, and hear those stories. Let me, let me give you a, a quick illustration of that, and it's from... Uh, J.R. Tolkien, who wrote the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, in the 1920s, uh, he was a Christian. He wrote that in 1920s, the, the trilogy, Lord of the Rings. But J.R. Tolkien, who was a Christian uh, believer and a professor at Oxford, had a friend, C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist. And what was interesting is that Lewis loved these old tales and myths and legends, even though he was an atheist, an absolute modern man. He believed that good and evil were relative. We were here by accident. Everything about us is the product of natural selection, and killing the dragons and rescuing the damsel stories were just fairy tales. Yet Lewis was moved by these stories. He was greatly moved by these stories. And so Tolkien said to Lewis, they had this conversation, they had this close friendship, and he said, here's my theory of why you are so moved, even though you are a modern man. These stories, though they are not true historically and factually, a lot of these fictional stories, are actually getting at underlying realities. They're doing something within your heart, Lewis, that you, you're not aware of. For example, all of these stories, first of all, they, they say that this world is under an evil spell of some sort. Our problems aren't going to be dealt with just by education, science, or technology. You know, the attitude of let's just all work together and can't we all just get along? Somehow that will, you know, that'll solve our problems. There is a sorcerer that has us under an evil spell. We know that and these stories point to that. That's the first thing. We're under an evil spell. The second thing that he brought, made very clear to Lewis was this. These stories point to the fact that the material world is not all there is. There is more to it than what meets the eye. That there is depth in reality. It is supernatural, not just natural. And the third thing that he made very clear is that we need sacrificial love to save us. I don't know if you notice in all these stories, there's some sort of sacrificial love. Some hero, some prince lays down their life, puts their life at risk to save those that are need saving. And, and so he says, we're not we're not going to be able to do it ourselves. We need sacrificial love to save us. Tolkien said at the intellectual level, you, have, you may believe or have been taught certain things, but deep down in their, in their heart, all human beings know that life is really like that. There's an evil spell. There's a spiritual realm. We need sacrificial love. It is why these stories move us so. 
And then Lewis responded, interesting story. But all the old myths are lies. In fact, Lewis said, myths are lies, though breathe through silver. And Tolkien said, no, they're not all lies. How about this one? The world is under an evil spell, but God sends his son into the world, and he's born in the most unlikely place in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. He takes on all the evil powers socially, culturally, and spiritually, and he goes to the cross, and it looks like evil has defeated him, and yet he is raised from the dead, and he is bringing together a band of people, and he's renewing their lives, and one of these days he's going to restore the whole world. I mean, that was a story he presented to C.S. Lewis. Tolkien says... No, Jesus, and Lewis responds to that story. He says, that's just like all of these other wonderful stories that point to these underlying realities. And Tolkien says, no, Jesus Christ is the underlying reality to which all of these other stories point. This story isn't just a story. It's factual. It's historical. He is the beautiful prince, ruler, and king your heart longs for to save the world. Now, all of us know the rest of the story. Through the influence of J.R.R. Tolkien, Lewis became a Christian, and he became one of the greatest Christian apologists of the 20th century. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books. I would encourage you to read Mere Christianity, pretty profound writing. And he was an atheist who became a Christian, and these stories moved him deeply in J.R.R. Tolkien made that very clear to him, what was going on within his own life. Take a look at your sermon notes here. So when you encounter God in the story of Jesus, you get swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that you are forever changed. You become a character in and a carrier of the great story of redemption through our Savior Jesus of infinite and eternal proportions. That's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. Now, I love what uh, Dorothy Sayers says. She's a writer. She says, the Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man. Now, I love being a firefighter, paramedic with Phoenix Fire. I absolutely loved it. Code 3 down the road, lights and siren coming in and, and rescuing and, and saving and preserving and prolonging and resuscitating people's lives and protecting their property. It was exciting, it was thrilling, and it was exhilarating to say the least, absolutely loved it. But it didn't even come close to what we do here week in and week out, believe me. I love that, I don't discredit them in the least, I don't wanna demean them at all, I love our first responders, I love what they do, but that has to do with life and death, this has to do with heaven and hell, that has to do with the temporal, this has to do with the eternal, what we do here week in and week out, that has to do with preserving someone's physical life. We're all about someone's physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, every dimension of their life. That's what God has called us to do. And I'm telling you, there's no greater adventure than to team up with God and watch this world be redeemed through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so here's your first couple fill in the blanks. No greater adventure. If you are a Christian, you have a ministry, G3, and a mission, G4. You're probably, if you're new here, you're going, what's the G3 and G4? We have a 5G process here. 
a full devotion to Christ. We're convinced when Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. We're convinced that fullness of life and full devotion to Christ are one and the same pursuit. The more you're fully devoted to him, oh my goodness, the more you're going to live a fullness of life unlike you've ever experienced before. And we have the 5G process. I put it on your notes there where you can see that. It starts with a genuine Christian, someone who's made a commitment to Christ and to a local church family like Desert Breeze. You make that public through water baptism. Um, and then a growing Christian, someone who's made a commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. Then the, the next G is a giving Christian, that's ministry. You begin to realize that God has uniquely shaped you to make an impact in the local church so that we together can make a greater impact in this world. And so you begin to leverage your giftings in the kingdom of God and in a local church and, and minister. That's ministry G3. And then G4 is missions. Man, once you've experienced fellowship with God, you want everybody you know and care about to also experience that. That's missions. That's G4. So genuine growing, giving, going, all for God's glory. And this is what you need to keep in mind as it relates to being a Christian. So if you're a Christian, you have a ministry and a mission. All Christians are in full-time ministry in on mission 24-7. Do you guys catch that? So it's not, it's not a job, it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle, it's a calling. You know, with a job you punch in and punch out, okay? You have a starting time, you have a quitting time. When I worked out at Palo Verde, you know, the whistle blew, everybody was working. The whistle blew, you took a break. Whistle blew, you get back, back to work. Whistle blew, you're out of there. Job was done. This is 24-7. When you committed your life to Jesus, you entered into ministry and on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's important to keep in mind. You have, in fact, not only is this a lifestyle, but you have, think about this, you have the same power of God working in you and through you and around you that the early church had in their lives. I don't know if you've read the book of Acts lately, but they lit that world, I mean, they lit that world up. They turned that world upside down with the gospel message. That whole Roman Empire, through the gospel presentation, how they presented the gospel, and they were lit up with the Holy Spirit. We have the same, listen to me, we have the same Holy Spirit that was in them, in us today. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you are in full-time ministry and on mission for Christ Jesus. You bring the very presence of God with you. Think about that. Wherever you go, as you're interacting with your neighbors, when you go to work, when you're here on weekend services, when you're in your small group, when you're working out in your backyard, you're taking the very presence of God with you. You bring his healing, redeeming, loving, forgiving, reconciling, life-giving presence with you wherever you go. I loved, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a, somewhat of a checklist, although I'll, I'll recite the prayer from time to time. How many grew up reciting the Lord's Prayer in church? Anybody? And that's actually a good thing if you've got it memorized because it becomes kind of a punch list of items that you work through. So when I'm laying in bed early in the morning, a lot of times I'll go through it. Our Father who art in heaven. I'll stop there just for a minute. Think out the implications. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Think out what that means. And what's the next part of that as it goes? It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your what in the world is he talking about there? Anybody have any ideas? Because I don't. 
Now, I know exactly what he's talking about. Well, maybe not exactly, but I'm pretty close. I think what he's saying is that he wants us to invite God's rule and reign to crowd out and overpower the forces of darkness and evil in and all around us. He's saying, I'm giving you an invitation here. You can invite my power, my presence, my peace to invade the people's lives that are all around you. If you're facing someone, someone's struggling in their life with despair, you can bring hope. You can bring comfort where there's grief. You can bring peace where there's panic. You can bring life where there's death. You can bring forgiveness where there's bitterness, love where there's hatred, reconciliation where there's divisiveness. That's the kingdom of God. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'll oftentimes pray that when I'm in the midst of conflict, when I feel like the enemy's bearing down on me, when I'm helping someone navigate their, the difficulties of their life. God, bring your kingdom, your will into their lives. Expose the enemy's darkness. May the light of who you are dispel the darkness. You know, when you... Uh, I came from a background, it was a Pentecostal background, where the tendency sometimes with some of those folks, and I'm not against, you know, I love my background, by the way, so I'm not just banging on them here for no good reason, okay, because I have a lot of good roots in Pentecostalism and charis, uh, in my charismatic background, but what sometimes they would do is, I think it was not biblical, is that they would focus on the enemy, you know what I'm saying? And we're going to chase the enemy out of here. Well, quit focusing on the enemy. Let's focus on Jesus, okay? So when you walk into the room, you don't curse the darkness. You do what? You turn on the light. Light dispels darkness. Does that make sense? So when you feel like the enemy is bearing down on you, don't focus on him. Focus on Jesus. Turn on the light. Begin to understand who he is. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when Jesus walked in, demons trembled. Jesus calmed the storm. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He brought life and love and liberty into people's lives. And that's what we have. We have Christ in our lives. We have the very presence of God. That is amazing what we have. I think we live, like I said last week, this was, this was my heart that the Lord's been really speaking to me since the beginning of the year. He wants us as a church to raise our expectation, to begin to seek him with all of our heart and like we've ever sought him before. And we will find him, we will experience him unlike ever before. But I don't think we understand the potential, the privileges, the, the power that is available to us through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. Now, this is still part of my intro, by the way, okay? And so, I'm, we're just getting warmed up. But let me give you a couple more verses here in Luke chapter 14, verses 18 through 19. This isn't on your notes, but you can write it down. Luke 14, 18 through 19. Jesus walks into the synagogue. He opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah. This is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you hear all the good that he's talking about here? That's why I'm here. I'm here for this reason. In fact, that's what he says. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> that's this is it. I'm here. This is what I've come to do. Later on in Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17, this is what Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So that's how he sent us into the world. So that when we, we become more aware of the people's lives that God has sent to us and around us, they're not there by coincidence. God wants to use you in a powerful way to speak 
to their lives, to minister to them. If they're believers, you minister to them. If they're non-believers, they become part of your missionary endeavor to try to help them to see the beauty and the glory of Christ more clearly. But we just kind of go through life kind of casually and cavalier and no big deal, and God's saying, wake up. I want to use you in a powerful way. You have the very presence of God with you, and I want your, I want my kingdom to come, my will to be done, not only in your life, but through your life and other people's lives. So I gave you some other verses there. Let me just read a couple of these, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. By the way, the arsenal that he gives us is not only the presence of God, but he gives us these gifts. They're called spiritual gifts. You guys familiar with them? We talk about them in our DB life. They're powerful. They're supernatural. They're supernatural gifts. God has given you supernatural gifts to be able to minister the grace of God to other people. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Manifestation of the Spirit, yeah. God wants to manifest himself to you and through your life as you minister to others. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That has to do with ministry And I gave you a a list of where the other gifts are found. I'd encourage you to begin to study those and begin to find out what gifts you may have, how you can minister to others. Romans 12, 3 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And then I put on there, there's not one, two, three, four, there's five great commissions. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. So what are we supposed to be all about before we go to heaven? We're all to be about walking with Christ, living his word, genuine growing, giving, and going all for God's glory. We're to be about ministry and missions until the Lord takes us home. And he gave us five great commissions of making making disciples of all the nations, looking and seeing and allowing God to use us. I'm telling you, spectating never compares with the thrills and chills of being in the middle of the action. When I was on the fire department, first got on the fire department, I was young, I was 28 years old, became a medic after about a year and a half to two years, went through the medic training program. I wanted to be right in the middle of the action. I worked some really busy stations. Man, we were running calls 24-7, man. Boom, well, not 24-7, I worked 24 hours and I was off 48 hours, okay. I needed that two-day recovery just from the, the shift work, but it was crazy, I loved it. I mean, it was out of control, and I must sound, so, you know, we, we loved fighting fires, get a fire call. Oh, nothing better than a good fire call. Oh, that sounds sick. Well, you better want firefighters out there to really be aggressive when it comes to firefighting. And then medical service, they don't get as much uh, firefighting calls, but they get a lot of more EMS, emergency medical service calls, shootings, stabbings, heart attacks, codes. I wanted to develop my skills through the years. Now, when you get older, you start going, ah, I've had enough of that action. So I want a slower station. I'm going to find a station way out in the middle of nowhere so we don't get as many calls. And that's kind of what happens over time is you do get burned out, but not in the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, I'm getting older, and I love being in the middle of the action of what God's doing. I love to see what God does as he transforms people's lives, as we bring the gospel to them, as we minister to them. And God's not just called me to do this. You are involved in this too. This is when you became a Christian, you became a minister and on mission for him, 24-7. 
God invites every believer to team up with him through a local church family that changed the world. Nothing will satisfy you more than to devote your God-given time and your talents and your treasure, your finances to accomplish God's redemptive plan. And here's what it takes. Okay, we finally got to our text. Okay, here we go. Here's our text. Here's what it takes. This is Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to refer back to it. It requires this, the right attitude, joyful service and sacrifice. Joyful service and sacrifice. Take a look at verses 24 and 25 of our text now. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. It's interesting when he says there in verse 24b, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. It almost sounds like there's deficiency in the cross, but that's not what he's talking about there. This is not saying that there's deficiency in Christ's atoning work on the cross. That would be a contradiction to all that Paul has already talked about in the book thus far, just in this first chapter. We are complete in Christ. His work was complete on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And so that's not what he's talking about here. But New Living Translation kind of helps us to understand what it means. I wrote it down here, and it says, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church, that continue for his body, the church. In other words, the, the persecution that Christ received, it didn't stop at the cross. It continues on even towards the church and those that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. In other words, we're going to continue to take a beating. Listen, Jesus died not so that Jesus... Uh, in fact, I've, I've got it written down like this. Christ didn't suffer so that we wouldn't suffer, but that when we suffer, we would become like him, that, would, that we would suffer well. And, and in essence, that's kind of really what he's saying. I'm suffering for his sake. In fact, he even talks about, I rejoice in my sufferings. When was the last time you did that? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I think it goes along to this idea, what he's saying, is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Remember when the apostle Paul, his name was Saul before he became Paul. Anybody know why he went from Saul to Paul? He was on the road to Damascus. He was out to kill Christians. He was persecuting the church. He encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was blinded, and the Lord spoke to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul had to have been saying, wait, I'm not persecuting you. Who, who are you? I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting Christians. Yeah, but you, when you persecute Christians, you're persecuting me. I take it personal. And there's almost that sense that Paul is talking about here when he says, I'm filling up, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. In other words, I'm, I'm okay with his suffering, but God, when I'm persecuted, Christ is being persecuted. He understands that. I have his compassion. I have his love. I have his strength in the midst of that. What's amazing about Paul is he went from persecutor of Christians to being a proclaimer of Christ and being persecuted as a Christian. Who does that? Someone who encounters Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who does that. That's absolutely amazing. So that's the reason why he can rejoice in his sufferings. And, and so verse 24, he said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I really believe, and I'm convinced of this, your greatest ministry comes from your deepest pain. 
Your greatest ministry comes from your deepest pain. I can't help but think that I, I know that some of you are going through pain right now. I'm telling you, God will use that. He will recycle your pain and use that so that you can be more equipped to minister to others. You know, when you think about this, people that have gone through betrayal and they get through that, they're better able to help people that are going through betrayal. People that have gone through a divorce, they become equipped and better able to help someone who's going through a divorce. Someone who's lost a child, people who've lost a child, oh my goodness, they're able to better help someone who's lost, lost a child. Do you hear what I'm saying? What you're going through, God will recycle and use in your life. In fact, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 2 through 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can in turn comfort others in their troubles with the same comfort that we have received from God. When we go through difficulties, he comforts us, he strengthens us, and then he recycles the pain so that we can in turn help others to bring hope and life to them, bringing God's kingdom into their lives, his rule and reign into that dark situation. That's why Paul's saying, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. You see, when we talk about joyful service and sacrifice, leadership is about service it's about service. So the more you're promoted in the kingdom of God, the greater servant you are. The greater servant you are. And not just service, but sacrifice. Sacrifice is about giving up something you love for something you love more. It's about giving up something you love for something you love more. Paul loved his life, but not as much as he loved people hearing the gospel, so he was willing to risk his life for the sake of the gospel and for these folks. Whatever you give up to follow Christ is nothing compared to what you will gain. Paul understood that. I'm willing to do that for the sake of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27, this is what Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. In other words, I'm gonna do everything I can to bridge the gap that separates me from others and Christ from others so that I can help them to see Christ more clearly in my life. So we could say this, service and sacrifice are the overflow of joy in Christ that gladly helps others to know and grow in their relationship with Christ. That's where it starts, this great adventure, no greater adventure than, than teaming up with God as we as we are used by him to redeem this world. The right attitude, joyful service, and sacrifice. Here's the next one, the right message. Oh my goodness, this even gets better. This is, this is beautiful right here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to what he says here, Colossians 1, 26 through 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, that's us, through his word. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery. Check this out. If you don't get anything else, get this right here. <laughs> you take this with you the rest of the week, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about that just for a moment. Meditate on that. Think deeply about that. Allow that not just to be a concept in your head, but a reality in your heart. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Immediately, we all, we all think, well, yeah, of course, Christ in me, I'm going to go to heaven. Well, that's more than that. It's a, it's a slice of heaven on earth. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the, the same divine glory that would have been fatal to Moses on contact in Exodus 33:20. 20. 
has now come to dwell in the hearts and the lives of those who have been pardoned by Christ. Remember Moses in chapter 33, show us your glory, and God said, no one can see my glory and live. Well, that same glory comes to live within us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We who believe in Christ Jesus have become the temple of the living God. God has made his home within us corporately, 1 Corinthians 3, 16, and individually, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What are you, what are you struggling with? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The odds may be against you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've got all sorts of anxiety about my future. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have all these doubts and questions and fears. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I, I, I love what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3 because it's very similar. There's some similarities to what he's talking about there. This is what he says. His divine power how does that go? His divine power, oh, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. Now think about that. His divine power has given us everything, Christ in you, the hope of glory. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You have everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge, that word knowledge means intimacy with Christ, not just you know about him, you're experiencing Christ in your life. You're interacting with him, you know him through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. Glory is a word that means weight, significance, importance. This is more important than anything you could ever be called to. Whatever job you landed, whatever, you know, whatever happened in your life, whatever achievements, accomplishments, this, it doesn't compare to being called into this intimate relationship with God where you have his divine nature inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word hope is not uh, wishful thinking. You know, we, we use the word hope. Well, I hope that happens and, oh man, I hope this happens or whatever it might be, that's wishful thinking. No, it's, it's not I hope so, it's I know so. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's confident, joyful expectation. Confident, joyful expectation. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of knowing God and experiencing God and walking with God and being transformed by God and being powerfully used by God, that you could actually pray with someone and, and see things happen as a result of your prayers, maybe either through healing or, or just maybe words of knowledge. God begins to speak truth into their life that they so desperately need and, and cling to more than anything during that time in their life, whatever it might be that God would use you, the hope of being all that God wants you to be and to do all that God wants you to do. I love what Elizabeth Elliot kind of uses a play on these words. She says this, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Amen. Whatever you're facing, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whatever you're facing, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, that's two. So it takes right attitude, joyful service, and sacrifice, right message, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Number three, the right methods, proclaim, admonish, and teach. This is what God's called us to do. The, great, the right methods, proclaim, admonish, teach. You see that in verse 28. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. The word proclaim has that idea of it's, uh, it's declarative. You're proclaiming. Uh, declarative preaching is an indispensable part of our ministry and missions. You guys know the difference. You know, the gospel is not good advice, but it's good news. So you're not coming alongside of people and giving them good advice. You're giving them good news. So good, good advice would be what you must do to be right with God. But good news is what God has done to make us right with him. So let me ask you, when you're presenting the gospel to people, does it come off like it's good advice or good news? Are you, are you telling people, hey, you know, if you just, if you, if you fly straight, get your act together, keep working on it, show up to church, that, that might be good advice, but I don't think it's really good advice, okay, in the, in the truest sense, but that's good advice. It's not, the focus is not on what you do, it's the focus is on what he has been done. When you think of the Christian life, do you, are you preoccupied with what you must do or what has already been done for you? Do you understand what has already been done for you? When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The debt's been paid in full. You have access into the throne room of God. All your sins are completely forgiven. You're adopted into his family. You're lavished with his love. Do you understand that? You're empowered by his Holy Spirit. You can face anything in this life because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Does that make sense? That's a done deal. So we proclaim that to people. We don't say, hey, get your act together and come to church and that, because that's a lot of what people are thinking about. When you present the gospel, the average person is gonna think good advice. Yeah, when I get my act together, when I stop my habit, when I quit doing this or that, I'll start coming to church. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not get your act together, obey God, and then you'll have his love and blessing. That's called religion. The gospel says, no, in Christ, we have all the blessing we will ever need. Therefore, we will want to obey him. We will follow him. Don't get the cart before the horse. I mean, understand, it starts with all that we have in him. That's why declarative preaching and proclaiming is necessary. So here's what I oftentimes do. When I get with people, I'm in a small group or hanging out with people, and people are down in the dumps and they're really struggling in a lot of different ways. It's because they don't understand what they have in Christ. Neither do I, by the way. And I need people come alongside of me to remind me of what I already have in him. I'm still working hard here. I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And they go, you don't have to do nothing. Just enter into all that you have in Christ. And then out of that, then you'll be able to perform appropriately. But don't get the cart before the horse. That's called religion. It's about a relationship with God. That's declarative preaching. Do you understand what we have in Jesus? Come to him. You have forgiveness. You have healing. There's hope. There's love in him. There's reconciliation. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it. The bridge across the Grand Canyon-sized chasm that separates us from God, is, there's a bridge. It's Jesus. Walk across the bridge and get to know him, experience him. Proclaim, proclaim, proclaim the good news. This, it's what your friends need when you get with them. They're struggling. The darkness is so dark they can't even see through it. Man, tell them about Jesus and who Christ is and what he's doing in their life. Even though they can't see and it might take days before they can. Point to Christ Turn on the light, light will dispel the darkness. 
proclaim. And then admonished. Admonished means to caution gently. Just, man, you don't want to be thinking like that. My wife was telling me that last night. What the heck are you thinking? I'm so thankful for her. Because I was like, ah, I don't know what she ends up. And she says, no, here's, here's what ends up, dude. Get over here. Let me help you with that. Let's focus on Jesus. Let's look to him. Oh, no, no, I've heard all that. I've, oh, I've also preached that. No, 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 here. We need people to come alongside and help us and admonish us to, to caution gently. It's like, man, that path is a destructive path. You don't want to be going down that path. That's not a good place, man. Let me bring you back. Come on, come on. Let's, let's, get, let's get a hold of this. So proclaim, admonish, and teach. Show people how the gospel applies to their lives. I gave you some verses you can look at. Paul talks about being like a nursing mother as he's gently helping people and like a father who's exhorting and encouraging. You know, we get so beat up by life. You know what encouragement is? It's putting courage into someone. And a lot of us go around without any encouragement whatsoever. We're discouraged. Discouraged means you're you're empty of courage, and that's why you can't face the issues. And all you need is someone to come alongside of you and begin to tell you about who Christ is and what he's done for you and begin to pour courage into you. That's what we need more than anything. That's what he's talking about here. All that we have in Christ, man, I lose sight of that. I need to be reminded of that daily. You do too. You do too. Proclaim, admonish, teach. That's what should be happening when we hang out with each other. Let me, let me give you a quick illustration here. Which do you prefer here? Do you prefer a billion dollars or one billion and one dollars? Which of those do you prefer? Not a trick question. Do you prefer a billion dollars or a billion and one dollars? If you're thinking, you know, and you're not really greedy, you're going to say it doesn't really matter. Okay, what's an extra dollar? Would you, would you guys agree with that? Yeah. You guys, okay. Okay, which, which do you prefer, Jesus or Jesus and a billion dollars? Some of you are thinking about how you could have Jesus and a billion dollars, aren't you? I know how you are, but if you really understood what you had in Jesus, you'd say, it doesn't really matter. Here's the point that I'm making. When you understand what you have in Jesus, it doesn't really matter. If I've got him, I have all the completeness I'll ever need in him. So that's what we're trying to do when we're hanging out with people. We're trying to proclaim and admonish and teach. What you have in him is more than enough. Rely on him, trust in him, walk with him, enjoy him. Love him. Help others to see him. And I'm telling you, he will work in your life in a supernatural way. We're talking about something very supernatural working in our lives. Okay, number four, the right goal, to know and mature in Christ. That's what we want in people's lives, to know and mature in Christ. So don't focus on maturing in Christ. Don't focus on being like Christ. Focus on being with Christ, and you'll become like Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, so don't, don't be preoccupied. Remember years ago when they came out with those... Uh, those, I think, was there bumper stickers and this whole, it was the whole thing, uh, campaign, what would Jesus do? You guys old enough? Okay. Those of you that are old, those of you that are young are going, Where, what was that? I don't know. Okay. If you're under like 30 or maybe even 40, you probably didn't, don't remember that. What would Jesus do? So the problem is with the Christian life is that we become preoccupied with what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You can never do what Jesus did unless you have his power within you supernaturally. 
But the only way you're going to get that is that you need to focus on what, not being like Jesus, but being with Jesus. Focus on being with Jesus, and you'll become like him. That's what we're trying to help people to do. This is what he says in Colossians 1.28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, I'm convinced that people aren't argued into the kingdom, but they are attracted. Not that you don't have good, strong arguments for your faith, but I don't think they're argued. I don't think they're pushed. I think they're pulled. There's a guy by the name of Thomas Chalmers, Scottish mathematician and leader of the Free Church of Scotland in the 1800s, and he had a sermon that was titled this, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And this is what he said. He said, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. Let me give you a quick illustration. It's been a while since I've used it here. I just used it in the DB Life this last uh, week, but it's the... It's the illustration of my two-year-old uh, grandson when he was two years old, and uh, he's now like 15 years old. Wow, where has time gone? And, um, but he, when he was two years old, his parents would bring him over to the house, and he knew where the toy room was. We turned one of our kids' rooms. Once the kids are grown and gone, you turn one of those rooms into a toy room, okay? From all their toys, that's what we did. And uh, so he would go into that little toy room. I mean, that was the first thing. He wouldn't say, hi, Grandpa or Grandma, because he couldn't say that, but he'd just go, hey. And then he would cut into that room, Never mind you, I want the toys more than you. That's what he was saying. Okay, not really. But, uh, but he went into that toy room and he was playing. We were in the, f- in the uh, living room. He came out into the foyer and his arms were filled up with these cars. And I think the only thing he could actually say at that time was cars, cars, cars. He's a boy, okay? He's a boy. Cars, cars. And I'll never forget that. While he's standing in the foyer, he does this kind of double take. He sees something on the coffee table, and he throws those cars down, runs over to the coffee table, and goes, candies. <laughs> the expulsive power of a new affection. Does that make sense? So he was in love with cars until he saw those candies. You know what? We're in love with a whole lot of things in this world until we encounter Jesus. It's called the expulsive power of a new affection. And that's what we're trying to do is to stir up people's appetite for Jesus so that they will want to spend time with him. And the more they spend time with him, the more they become like him. And it's just, it's absolutely amazing. A follower of, of a follower or a disciple of Christ is so ravished with Christ that they want to be with him and become like him and help others to know and grow in their relationship with him. You see... The power of sin's promise. See, we're talking about growing in Christ and maturing in Christ. So, so sin offers a promise of happiness. Would you agree with that? People sin because it's going to make them happy. They think it's going to make them happy. Would you guys agree with that? So the power of sin's promise is always broken by the power of God's promise through Jesus Christ. You want to break the power of sin's promise? Get to know Christ. You see, holiness is being so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal. So that's what we're trying to do. The right goal, to know and mature in Christ. That's it. That's it. Number five. Okay, we're almost finished. The right power source, struggling with all of his energy. I'm still working on this one. I'm working on all of them, but this one in particular, struggling with all of his energy. Colossians 1.29, this is where we finish up our text and also the chapter. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. I looked up some of these words. Uh, Blue Letter Bible uh, is a great tool to look up the Greek words and to kind of find uh, what those mean. And the word toil actually means to grow weary, tired, and exhausted. 
So he says, for I toil. I grow weary, tired, and exhausted doing this. And then he uses the word struggling. Struggling, the Greek word is agonizomai, where we get our word agonize, and it's straining to obtain something as in a contest, such as Winter Olympics, as they're straining across the finish line. So he uses these two words, and he says, for this I toil, I grow weary, tired, and exhausted, struggling, I'm agonizing, notice this, with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Isn't that interesting? I mean, there's so much more that we could say about that, but, but how do you do that? How do you work hard and yet at the same time rely on his power and strength? Because I tend to work hard and don't rely on his power and strength and can tend to get a little bit burned out sometimes and, and wrung out. Anybody there with me? Just like, ah. So as I was thinking about this, what came to mind obviously is Matthew 11, 28 through 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He does give us responsibility. He's given us responsibility of ministry and missions, but he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's what I've learned through the years, and I'm still learning. Don't do more than he's called you to do. You need to have good boundaries. Don't take on more than he's called you to do. You need to be taking on something. If you're not taking on anything, that you're not being obedient to him. But what you take on, don't take on more than he's called you to do. Have good boundaries. Here's another thing. Do what he's called you to do, not for your identity, but from your identity. Continue to rest in who you are in him. Don't be doing the good things that you're doing somehow to get the approval of others. Whether you get the approval or not, it doesn't matter. You're doing it for him, an audience of one. So you do it from your identity in him, not for your identity in him. And then do what he's called you to do in his strength. I don't dare come up here on a weekend service apart from total dependency upon his power and strength. By the way, from time to time when I do that, I don't do so well. Believe me. Man, I'm totally dependent upon his strength and his power. You are too. Whatever he's called you to do, rely on him, trust in him. I mean, parents, man, nowadays parenting kids, spouses, if you're single, battling the, the temptations of this world, man, you need his supernatural power. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, you need his supernatural power, and then also do spend time with him every day to receive his strength. I have, I have to spend every morning, every morning, man, Every morning I spend some sweet time with him just to enjoy him and love him and allow him to love on me. You need that too. So here's where we finish up. The next time you read or watch, the next time you read or watch one of those stories of good against evil, some king, ruler, hero coming back to snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat just in the nick of time, remember, remember this. Jesus Christ is the underlying reality under which all those stories point. He is the beautiful prince, ruler, and king your heart longs for. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going to prepare our hearts for communion here this morning. Father God, when we encounter you in the story of Jesus, we get swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that we are forever changed. And so by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have become characters in and carriers of the great story of redemption through our Savior, Jesus Christ, of infinite and eternal proportions and implications. We can make an impact in people's lives for all eternity. 
This is the call you have on our lives, and so may we walk with you as genuine Christians, live your word as growing Christians, contribute with our time and our talent and treasure to your work as giving Christians in ministry, and make an impact in this world as going Christians in missions, all for your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. We got three stations up here. Make your way up to one of the stations, grab both the cups, take it back to your seat, and then I will walk us through the process of communion this morning. So what is God speaking to you this morning? He's here. He's ministering. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? Christ in you, the hope of glory, all made possible through the cross. These elements that we're about to take in just a moment are just the reason why we can have access to God. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by his glory and goodness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's take together. So think about this. Christ in you, the hope of glory, wherever you go, whatever you do, you are bringing the very presence of God to bear upon people's lives and the circumstances of their life. I, my prayer this week is that you would be conscientious of that. You'd be aware of that. And when you're encountering some chaos or whatever it might be, man, you can bring the very presence of God with you into that circumstance, into that situation, either by prayer. You could even ask the people in that situation, hey, can I pray with you? Or maybe God might put something on your heart. You could speak some truth to them that would, would bring freedom to their lives at that moment. Whatever it might be, be open to the voice of God. He wants to use you powerfully in people's lives in both mission and ministry, ministry and missions, all for his glory. Here's my blessing for you for this, uh, this morning as you exit here and as you head into the new week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.